Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There are days, there are days where I wonder if I finally snapped. Maybe all the headlines I'm seeing are just the crazed delusions of an unhealthy mind. But then I realized, nope, this is reality. What else can you say when the top business story of the day revolves around Jeff Bezos accusing the National Enquirer of trying to blackmail him with some not-so-tasteful nudes? This was a dramatic day, with the averages opening down big before making a comeback. Dow ultimately shedding 63 points. S&P inched up 0.07%. NASDAQ advanced 0.14%. Big rally at the close. Yet this basis thing is all anybody wanted to talk about. Well, I got to tell you, it's the last thing I want to linger on, okay? Uh, but I got to say, I was surprised that the CEO of Amazon landed himself in such an awkward situation. Look, it doesn't matter what Bezos does in his personal life. I do not care. But we own Amazon for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionWordsPlus.com club. And while I still like the stock, this kind of episode makes me worry a little bit about the guy's judgment. Well, it must spook others, too, because the stock failed to rally like so many other tech names that did in the close. It's finished off 26 bucks. Trust me when I say that this stock would have moved up sharply if not for these startling revelations, counterpunching, and ill-advised moves that it looks like Mr. Bezos made before that triggered all this hoopla. All right, good. With that out of the way, and I had to get out of the way, hopefully we'll never speak of this again. So let's move on to the game plan for next week. Monday morning, we hear from Restaurant Brands. That's the company that owns Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Kramer Fave Popeyes. I talk about McDonald's all the time here. I rarely give the Burger King its due. Right now, I think Restaurant Brands represents a better value than the Golden Arches. It's got a 3.2% yield. It's incredibly well-run. It's got a superior growth trajectory. Let's hear what they have to say. I like what they're doing with Popeyes. Norfolk Southern NSC holds an analyst meeting on Monday, and railroads have been fabulous performers here. Both CSX and Union Pacific have adopted a, a form of train routing called precision railroading. And I bet Norfolk Southern will have something similar up its sleeve. That should allow its stock to roar like the other rails. And you know I think that group is terrific. All aboard! Tuesday morning, Under Armour reports, oh, what a misfortune thing this is, because as much as I like this company, well, Nike's got a better story to tell. I went to the Nike store on Fifth Avenue, by the way. You can design your own shoes. I mean, you got to see it to believe it. Now, it's Under Armour's bad luck that they compete against one of the best-run businesses on Earth. I think Kevin Plank will do a good job. But she's to compete with Nike. Wow. It's like going up against the Pats. 
We also hear from Molson Coors, and you know what? I don't expect very much here. However, I think the cannabis stocks could be in play because this company understands it may need to take a bigger plunge into the marijuana market than the tire kicking it's done so far. See, the Canadian cannabis stocks started to roll over this week after an incredible run, but the fact is the, they are really serving as beer replacement in a lot of states. After the close, we get results from one of the healthier of the oil companies, and that's Occidental. Oh, it's got some fabulous Permian Basin holdings, and that's where the money is. That said, I like BP more if you want to own an oil, because it has a higher 5.8% yield. That's a full percentage point above these guys. Believe me, with oil looking like it is going back to the 40s, you're going to need some yield protection. Now, I have a club meeting for ActionLordsPlus.com on Wednesdays where I give a speech, and I've got to tell you something. I wanted to add, this is something I, I start writing the speech earlier last week and this, working, this, working this weekend, and I was going to tell people this is it. This is in the bullpen for the Chapel Trust. It's time to buy Twilio because it represents, I think, maybe the best growth stock in tech right now. But obviously, I'm not alone because the cloud-based communication platform for so many other companies, including Airbnb and Lyft, reports on Tuesday, and the stock is running right up into what we call the print. It gained more than four points today alone. It was never down, even during when all the semis were down in the morning and all the days. It never went down. I want this stock to be lower to buy, but I bet the quarter's a legit blowout like the last one. This darn thing is a Horse. Many investors are very concerned about the video game industry after Electronic Arts reported disappointing quarter this week, and Take Two gave you a forecast that wasn't as insanely positive as some people had hoped for. But then today we learned that EA's newly released Battle Royale game, uh, Apex Legends, suddenly has 10 million followers overnight. Well, virtually overnight, a couple days, and the stock's screaming higher. What a roller coaster. I wonder if, if Activision Blizzard has something similar, uh, positive, when it reports after the close. Activision stock has lost nearly half of its value since October. But I think EA put a floor under the group today, which means this one might be worth speculating on. I like the gold stocks here. As you know, even as the price of gold has been stalled, as the dollar's been getting higher, but the best of the lot, Barrick Gold reports Wednesday morning. This company was formed recently for the combination of old, the old Barrick with Rand Gold. And I bet CEO Mark Bristow, yes, of Rand Gold fame, delivers an excellent quarter. After the close, we get results from Cisco. I'm not worried about the quarter. I think CEO Chuck Robbins, who was on this morning on Squawk, looking pretty darn good at that Pebble Beach thing, I, I think he'll have a report a fine quarter. I am concerned about the forecast because so many hedge fund managers own this one. It's what we call a crowded long, and they are a mighty hard group to please. We already own it for the Chapel Trust, but if you don't own any, I suggest now you got to wait. See what happens if Cisco pulls back. That might be your buying opportunity. Remember, the hedge funds are too short-sighted. Chuck has a long-term plan, and it's going to play out. Coca-Cola, speaking of long-term plans, reports on Thursday morning, and I'm expecting still one more strong quarter from James Quincy, who's done a fabulous job since taking over as CEO a little less than two years ago. Only a strong dollar could impede what I expect will be a mid-single-digit worldwide growth. I hope he mentions Topo Chico, which is his Mexican water. He bought the company for Coca-Cola years ago. He can't keep the stuff in stock. I bet you it's a worldwide hit. After the close, we hear from two incredibly high-profile semiconductor-related names, Applied Materials, and NVIDIA. Not that long ago, NVIDIA pre-announced a bad quarter. I mean, really bad. But now I think it's been de-risked. You don't slam yourself again after that kind of guy down. You get so it's much more muted. However, NVIDIA has major exposure in China, and it's also got some gaming issues. So, you know, we it's kind of caught up in a couple of negative themes right now. Same goes for applied materials. We know the semiconductor equipment maker has had its share of hardship of late. I don't expect a good number, but I do expect a more upbeat appraisal than what we've heard from them in the past even if there's no China deal. Remember, we're on the clicking talk for, clock for China deals here. On Friday, PepsiCo reports, and here's something I am not used to. Indra Nui is now the former CEO. She will not be on the conference call. 
I will miss Indra, who did such a fabulous job reinventing this company to stay current by offering good tasting and good for you items, as well as great for you profits and dividends. I think Pep will put up good numbers. I want to hear how new CEO Raymond LaGuardia handles himself before I make a judgment. I'm so used to the great calls that Indra Nui gave us, which were also, by the way, educational and not just about business. All right, we also get results from Deere, and I bet we'll get some news about from this great manufacturer that we will like. Demand is very strong for farm equipment, and right now that means Deere stock is poised to go higher. I recommend buying some into the quarter. Only a lack of a resolution in trade talks with China keeps you from being even more aggressive. Can new brands put its problems in its rearview mirror? I don't know. CEO Mike Polk is earnest. He's been trying to delever, that's, you know, get less debt, uh, from all the debt he took down to acquire Jordan. Uh, it's been a very tough road. A lot of these Jordan properties turn out to be a little expensive, more than they should have been. Given how many moving parts there are here and how much there is still for sale in the portfolio, I think it's still too risky to buy new ahead of the quarter, even though it's got that 4% yield. We're just going to listen. Bottom line, we're now at the tail end of earnings season. It's been a blast, at least until this past week when we got some iffy news about trade. Sadly, I bet we'll be on the same hook next week. If we get good trade vibes, well, these all go higher. Look at that. Isn't that great when I do that? You can't see it. Oh, there it is. I was using Invisible Ink initially. If we get bad uh, trade vibes, well, guess what? Lower still. Let's go to Chris in Mississippi. Chris! Hey, Jim. Hope you're having a great birthday so far. Well, you know, it's really um, this way. It's my birthday weekend is the way I look at it. Happy birthday to Bob Bogger, yeah. by the way. Similar day. What's up? I just got a quick question. Um, with four straight quarters of declining operational income now, what do you think is going to change first for Ford? It's management team or it's dividend? Oh, boy. It's management team. Some of the nicest guys in the business. But the previous guys were nice and so were the other guys. Uh, the ownership, the Ford family, I don't know. I mean, look, they want to keep that dividend. I think they need the cash to do, uh, to do other things. I think it's dead money. I, 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 I would say. Don't buy. Don't buy. They got some real proven to do because that last quarter was, I'm going to use the word, bad. Charlie in Kentucky. Charlie. Jim, I just want to say early happy birthday. Booyah. Thank you, partner. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. I got a question. I'm up about 35% on GE, and I was wondering if the recent downturn is due to the trade talks or is there something else going on? All right. This is a really let's, – let's take this very clear, okay? This stock has had, was got pushed down way too low, and then it had a very big move up, and then Steve Toos has been throwing a little – it's up 30% for the year for, uh, already. Steve Toos has been throwing a little cold water on it. I think he can go down another dollar, maybe dollar and a half, but I think Larry Culp's doing a good job. we got to get our arms around all the exposure to long-term care. If he's done that, then it's close, close, close to – and that's what we've been saying. Let's go to Mike in Florida, please. Mike, Mike, Mike. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Uh, first, I want to just say that uh, you were loved by many people, and <laughs> we rely on your understanding. Uh, you're very good. And we would be lost without you. No, nah, really come be. on, man. There's always and another. No, There's a, you know, we, it's next we, man we up. Would, it's next man up in my business, too. But thank you. We would be lost sheep. Okay, thank you. But you're our shepherd, and we appreciate it. <laughs> um, but I'm uh, calling sure about Gilead. Um, I've held uh, Gilead for you know a, a few years now, and it's it's been pretty much of a disappointment. Uh, you know, despite the fact that they developed a cure for hepatitis C, um, the stock really it went up uh, right after that, but it's been on a, a downward well, course since then. It's in the upper sixties, and 
their fourth quarter, uh, they, right. they missed on earnings, and their guidance for 2019 was not inspiring. And uh, so really my question is, uh, is there any foreseeable catalyst for the Yes, stock? there is. I'm so glad you put it down. First of all, those kind words make me blush. I mean, I come out here every day, and I try to figure out why do I come out here every day, and I think it's because I come out here because of people like Mike in Florida. Mike, they got a new CEO, Daniel O'Day. That is the catalyst. Daniel Day, people speak the word of, but you know what? This company's got a good balance sheet, but it better do some of that cash. Because you're sitting on that cash and paying a 3.7% yield. That ain't working. I put the same, I put it in the same camp as Abvi and then Celgene before Celgene got the bid from Bristol Mars. All right, we're getting near the end of earnings season. Oh, it's been a blast. Try the luck here, you know. Oh, man, buddy, try Columbia Sportswear is up more than 15% today alone. The recent, uh, it's just got some great brands. And by the way, its influencers are real. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Then, has the music died or is it time to pump up the volume on Spotify? I'm giving you my take after the company's up and down and up and down and up and down period after its IPO. And self-driving tractors could sow the seeds for high-tech farming. I'm talking to one company leading the charge. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. We've had a bunch of upside surprises in apparel this week. Earlier it was Ralph Lauren and Capri Holdings. That's the old Michael Kors. And today it was maybe the best of all, Columbia Sportswear. Here's a company that's mostly focused on outerwear. You know them as uh, Columbia, uh, Sorrel, Mountain Hardware, Prana, and a host of other brands. And last night it reported a blowout quarter. You know how long we've loved this company, but this was something I didn't believe. Going into the session, the stock was already up 10% for the year. Today it rocketed another $14 or 15.6%. If you're thinking that must have been some quarter year right, Columbia Sportswear delivered a monster 40 cent earnings beat off a buck 28 basis, much higher than expected sales, up 70% year over year, thanks in large part to 23% growth in the direct consumer business. Even better, management raised their full year sales forecast pretty substantially, which is exactly the kind of thing investors want to see. So can the stock keep roaring? Let's take a closer look with Tim Boyle. He's the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear and a frequent guest. Learn more about this incredible quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thank you very much for, uh, for asking me to join you today. Well, Tim, I've got to tell you, uh, we've been around talking to each other for a long time. There's no way you could have realized how great this quarter would be, right? I mean, I don't even know how, how you had enough inventory. What a quarter. Well, you know, we, uh, 
we, we spent a lot of time pinching ourselves for the last 90 days. So, you know, this, is, this has been terrific. And, you know, as we've talked at length about the company, uh, there were areas where, uh, where we had underperformed. And so we, we collected all those kinds of activities that we knew we could improve on and put them into the basis of, of, uh, of Project Connect. And we really reinvested and reinvigorated the company. And, and these are the results that we have. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's good to have great weather globally for, right. for the brand that sells a lot of outerwear. But, but we sell what may, way more than just outerwear. So it's a terrific result of our, our great teams that we have in place. Well, I mean, one of the, you've got, there's a great part of the conference call where you talk about some of the, of the endorsers, people you endorse. But I've got to tell you something, Tim. I've been following this Adam Buchanan and what you're doing with influencers that you're not paying. Uh, there are lures loyalty to your brand that I find extraordinary. I want you to. I spent a lot of time with the bogus influencers. You've got real people, right? <laughs> well, we try to be real. You know, that's. Uh, he- you know, it's it's about having merchandise that works, that performs, and people recognize that, and and real people recognize that. So it's it's terrific. And again, I can't say enough about the team that we've put in place to to make this merchandise uh, happen in the way we in the sales that have happened to date. And you did something other than the Colin Kaepernick ad from Nike, which was extraordinary. You took an ad about the about the government shutdown in the parks. And I thought that was extraordinary because it was obviously, yes, you want people to look. We know that you're we want people to camp out if we work in Columbia. But we also know that you have a point of view about the way things should be run in this country, don't you? Yeah, we do. And, you know, it's um, there's a number of areas that we've we've tried to to raise our voice. And and uh, we've been very fortunate that uh, occasionally people listen. But it's you know, our business is about 40 percent outside the U.S. So not only the U.S. citizens enjoy our products, especially in national parks, but when we appear in stores around the world, people think of America. And, and what is more iconic about America than the national park systems and, and the fact that people can go outside? And, and we just want to make sure people understand how important that is to the commerce in the United States and, and people's lives. I thought that was great. I also love the fact that uh, even though you're, you're talking about being in China, a lot, of, a lot of companies now are very skittish about China. Not you, even though the numbers haven't looked that good, you're making a major emphasis. Well, it's, you know, you've, you've followed the company. You know that in certain areas of the world we've underperformed. And Europe would be an example of where we've taken our lumps and gotten better, gotten better people and done better there. We're going to do the same in China. Frankly, that, that's probably one of the largest geographies in the world where the company can be very successful. We've shown we can do it. We need to get ourselves reorganized and have added some people. And frankly, that's going to be a big market for us. Okay, another area that people, I, I think, feel is a bit oversaturated, but you're willing to be in it. $30 billion footwear market for Columbia. Is it really the time for one more entrant in that? Well, you know, we talk about this all the time in the company. Nobody needs another brand of apparel or footwear. So if we're going to be successful there, we have to differentiate ourselves. We have to figure out what we mean to footwear and what we mean to users who are buying our stuff. And what we think about is, you know, what would a hiking shoe and an athletic shoe, if they spent the night in a box, what would come out of that? And, and we hope that we have the right, the right berth for a really 
important, powerful footwear line for the company. It's a bit of a shoe dog, Covet, if I might say. Now, let me ask you something. <laughs> You've got, you could do Prada, which is just as hot as Lulu. You could go footwear. You could do Sorel, which is doing amazing. When you at your meetings, how do you pick where to put your next bet? When they're all winning, how do you decide which one is the one you want to be in? Well, it's as you mentioned, it's difficult. We have all these opportunities, and, and we have to really set ourselves strong priorities. Otherwise, you could easily diffuse your efforts. So we, we spend a lot of time on ROI. Uh, our board mm-hmm. holds us responsible for a, for a high level of ROI. So we, we use that as a, as a portion of the, the measurement in terms of where we're going to invest. But it's also... Uh, a bit of, uh, you know, black art in terms okay. of where do we see white space that we can be really strong and we can, and we can make a difference. And then it, at the end of the day, it's about the product. And consumers tell us, hey, we really like this. We're going to buy more of those kinds of things. Well, you guys are one honest brand. That's why people love you. And you're a great merchant. Thank you so much to Tim Boyle, president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Good job, sir. Really good job. Congratulations. Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks. Stick with Kramer. Sometimes the stock market can be a little slow on the uptake. That's one reason there are so many misunderstood stocks out there. The trick is to view these situations as buying opportunities rather than panicking because a high-quality company can't seem to get the respect you think it deserves. But that does take discipline, doesn't it? It's why I'm always telling you to do your own homework so that you don't get spooked when the market makes a mistake about a business that you like. You want a textbook example? Spotify. Don't you love Spotify? I do. The online streaming service has revolutionized the music industry. I've been a giant fan of this thing. Not just the product, but the stock. And since it started trading in April of last year, you know I've been telling you this is a good one. I recommended it two days after the direct listing when it was trading at $144 because I believe this was a great growth story. Eventually, Spotify started gaining adherence, and by late last July, the stock surged up to $199, and we have a very strong quarter. Then we went into the fourth quarter, and the darn thing collapsed, along with the rest of the market, with the stock bottoming at 103 on Christmas Eve. Ouch! Like so many other names, though, Spotify quickly recovered. Uh, by Tuesday night, the stock had rebounded to 139 Now, here's where things get tricky. On Wednesday morning, Spotify reported what I believed was a pretty good quarter. But Wall Street was spooked by management's conservative guidance, and the stock got slammed again, sinking to 135, then falling to 131 yesterday before recouping some of those losses today, closing the week at $134 and change. was like nothing happened here. I think this is lunacy. It's like the market just doesn't know how to read this company or its quarterly guidance. In my view, Spotify is very much on the right track. If anything, the narrative's gotten better since I first recommended it roughly 10 months ago, yet the stock's down 10 bucks over that same period. Quizzical. What makes me so confident that the stock's going to go right back up? First of all, this is a fantastic story. Spotify is one of rare handful of services. It's such an incredible bargain. I think most people would pay more for it without question. I never even look at the bill listing. I like it so much. So does our restaurants. The company has 116 million monthly active users that they make money off of by selling them ads. And more importantly, every single free user is a potential paid subscriber in the waiting. 
might upgrade. They already have 96 million subs, and that number is growing like a weed. Plus, Spotify owns roughly 9% of Tencent Music, the usually profitable Chinese streaming music site that came public late last year. And this has been a great investment for them and for you if you own the stock. In short, the company's got a lot going for it. Now, when Spotify reported in July, the numbers were fantastic, and the stock surged to new highs. Then the whole market plummeted off a cliff in the fourth quarter. At first, Spotify fell victim to the sell-off plunging with no real news. But then on November 1st, the company reported a quarter that ended up scaring even, even very good investors away. It's important to get our heads around what went wrong in November if we want to understand what happened earlier this week. Three months ago, Spotify delivered some strong quarterly numbers with higher than expected sales and a surprise profit. And the stock initially surged on the news. The problem? Management gave cautious guidance for the next quarter and Spotify went right back down. Remember, this was a dark time for the market where companies were being punished for anything less than absolutely perfect beats and raises. What were people so worried about here? Let me give you a good example. A fellow was on today, Anthony DiClemente, very good analyst, Evercore ISI, saw him probably in the mid-afternoon. He downgraded Spotify from outperform to inline. He slashed his price target from 210 to 155 in the process because he was concerned about the company's subscriber growth and operating margin forecasts. So the stock keeps sinking until it bottoms along with everything else around Christmas. And that makes a major comeback in January. By the time this week rolled around, Spotify had rallied more than 30% from its December lows, basically back to where it was trading right after it reported the last quarter. Which brings us to the latest results. On Wednesday, Spotify delivered what some people called a mixed quarter. I liked it. While their sales came in a tiny bit weaker than expected, and the cash flow was a little light. Their gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, was 120 basis points higher than Wall Street was looking for, my key metric, and they delivered a surprise operating profit. Plus, the user numbers were special. Spotify's total monthly active users was up 29% year over year. Its premium subscribers up 36%. That's fabulous. We're in a subscription economy, people. Those are amazing. They beat expectations. I think the positives more than outweigh the negatives here. Remember that downgrade from ISI Evercore after Spotify reported its last quarter? The analyst there, smart guy, like I said, was worried about subscriber growth and margins. Those line items were all excellent this time. In fact, Spotify subscriber growth actually accelerated for the full year. Guys, that's what we're looking for. So then why did the stock get slammed? Because once again, Spotify gave that same conservative guidance pretty much across the board for the next quarter. Softer than expected, premium number, subscribers, sales, margins, and profits. And while the full year guidance for 2019 was better, they gave us a much higher than expected subscriber forecast. The revenue and gross margin numbers still came in weaker than Wall Street was hoping for. It was the forecast. Of course, when you report an imperfect quarter with ugly-looking guidance, your stock is going to get slammed. And that's exactly what happened to Spotify. But I think the sellers were missing a lot of context here. And the context is something I like to talk about a lot. And it's called UPOD. That's underperform. Look, they underpromise. Okay, you. That's the you. Underpromise. And then they overdeliver. That's the pod, man. Well, the oop and the odd drives me crazy because that's clearly what they were doing. At this point, CEO Daniel Eck and his team have established a track record of giving cautious guidance under promise and then beating it over delivering. They did it in November, too. More importantly, Spotify's subscriber growth story. And these forecasts look really good to me. In short, the fundamental story to me is completely intact. Now, we also got a fabulous catalyst on Wednesday that I don't even think investors are giving any credit for the company. None. Alongside its results. Remember, and I thought they were good. Spotify told us that it's making a pair of acquisitions, Gimlet Media, which is based in Brooklyn, not far from where I live, and Anchor, that will help them become the premier platform for podcasts, an incredibly hot market. 
It's especially popular with hard-to-reach millennials. Kind of reminds me of Hulu in that sense. On top of that, the company made it clear that they're willing to spend $400-$500 million on additional deals this year. Crucially, on its conference call, management clarified that its guidance, the numbers that Wall Street was so worried about, included the cost of all of these intended deals. That put a very different spin on Spotify's forecast for me because I'm looking at this closely, but not for many other people. Plus, I think these are great investments purely in their own merits. Podcasts are an incredibly fast-growing market, and Spotify's already the number two player here. I think they can make a killing if they become the de facto podcasting platform. As CEO Daniel Eck told me on Squawk on the Street Wednesday morning, listen to this. What we're seeing uh, really is we've done podcasts now for about two years. And it's uh, our users who are listening to podcasts are listening to the platform almost twice as much. Um, And uh, of course, the growth in podcasts for us has just been phenomenal. And that's part of the reason why we're now making this move. Well, that sounds good to me. The bottom line, when Spotify reported earlier this week, Wall Street seriously misread the company's guidance. The sellers didn't seem to realize the forecast included the cost of some smart acquisitions, and they also don't give management enough credit for knowing how to under-promise and over-deliver. And that's why I think Spotify is an incredible buy down here. We are in a subscription economy, people, and it's mighty difficult to top this one. Bye, bye, bye! Steven in Kansas. Steven! Good afternoon, Jim. Big booyah to you, and happy birthday, I might add. From the oh, Arkansas thank the world, you. Kansas. Sunday's the big 4-0, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you. Hey, I'm a longtime watcher and now listener to the Bad Money Podcast. And the last few episodes, you've talked about cloud and cybersecurity. Right. I bought into SailPoint Technologies, S-A-I-L, after an IPO last November. At fourteen fifty a share. Right. The company's products and services include open identity platforms, cloud-based identity, data access, governance. Look, I, I, I like SailPoint. I know it well, but I, I do like Okta more if I'm going to be in that category. Okta again, he in an all-time high. That's Todd McKinnon. He's part of the sale. He's part of the Salesforce tree of the people who have learned from from yes, Mark Benioff. So I'm going to go with that one. That's my fave. And now we're going to go to Tom in Colorado. Tom. Mr. Kramer, booyah. Booyah. Hey, happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, what do you think about uh, my stock is Dropbox? What do you think about that? I, I like Dropbox. I mean, every time we interview Drew Halston, I come away thinking this is a poised, smart man who's doing many good things, and yet the stock doesn't get the respect at 25. And remember, I said Box was good yesterday, and I'm dropping on Dropbox, too. All right, there are a lot of misunderstood stocks out there, but I think the Spotify may be one of the most most misunderstood that I've come across. you got to trust me on these subscription stories. They're good. Much more made money ahead. Agriculture is the oldest human industry, but it's certainly no stranger to technological change. I'm talking to the one company that really is helping the sector to shift gears. Hey, driverless trucks! Then, hey, driverless tractors! There are analysts from Mars, and there are companies from Venus. I'm telling you how the SunTrust BB&T merger could offer clues. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round! So stick with Kramer! Kramer! 
Tonight we're bringing back a familiar face, but one who's changed teams and now works for a company many of you probably never heard of. And I'm talking about Hubertus Mulhauser, and he's now the former CEO. If you remember, he's the former CEO of WellBuilt, the maker of food surface equipment. He left that gig last year. He now runs a company called CNH Industrial. It's a British company, although really he still works in Chicago, that makes construction equipment, trucks, commercial vehicles, buses, safety vehicles for firefighters, along with the engines, transmissions, axles that go into them. You've seen them. It's under many different brand names. And CNH Industrial just reported a pretty solid quarter. And we always want to take the temperature of the heavy machinery space. But with Europe seemingly slowing and the UK poised to go over the no-deal Brexit cliff, there's a lot more to dig into here. So let's check in with Hubertus Mauser. He is the new CEO of CNH Industrial. Learn more about his company and the broader industry. You've heard us. Welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Okay, very good to see you. All yeah. right. Well, you're not with WellBuild anymore. We no, like no, that company. No, what yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah, Try yeah, to take well, new things? I had to go back to my home. You know that I come from heavy machinery, yes, construction machinery, agricultural engines. So when I was approached by CNH Industrial, I couldn't say no. Well, then we want to tell me these are old, you know, Case, New, new Home. These yeah. are big Oh, well-known yes, names yes. if you're in the industry. Absolutely, and we're the leader. I mean, right. we're, I would say, when, when you think about precision ag, I, I, would, I would put us really at the forefront of that movement. We're the second largest agricultural manufacturer on the planet. Solid footprint in the U.S., South America, Europe, and also Asia. So we're doing very, very good there. Yes, I mean, I know Deere reports last uh, next week. They report at the end of the week. And I know you guys reported terrific numbers Deere last time. Yes. This is a great time to be in your business, even though the world's slowing. The world is slowing, but, you know, farmers had a tough, tough ride the last year. So right. we're coming off the trough right now. And even though farmer sentiment is kind of difficult right now with all, you know, the discussions on the trade war, we hope that this is going to be behind us during the year. And we think that our industry is growing. But so the we're truth is they need growth. equipment, right? They There's need equipment, and we've got yes. replacement demand right now. It's all driven by the digital revolution, which has arrived at farming right now. So all this precision ag, self-driving tractors, and, and that's exciting stuff. That's high-tech stuff. For real. Yes, absolutely. That, that exists. I mean, we, we started, you know, automating our machines years ago, and, and we, we have, and you have it on the, on, the, on, the, on the photo there. So we have completely self-driving um, farms right now. So we have Bolthouse Farms, for example. They have completely automated equipment. And the footage that you see there on the photo, that's all from Bolthouse Farm. That's reality. That's today. That's here already. That's I mean, our it's technology. Incredible. It really is. It's not iRobot. No, 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 it's no, a no, real no. thing. This is really happening right now. Now, your company is known as a technological leader, and something we champion in this country that didn't take off, and this show champion. LNG trucks, they made so much sense. Other than waste management, people really haven't adopted them. That's because they have natural gas from landfills. But yeah. you're, you're moving ahead with it. We're moving ahead with this. And as you know, we're not only a, a, an ag company. We're also a construction company. We right. also have one of the largest powertrain um, engine makers. And we do diesel and LNG engine, gas engines. And what we see right now happening in Europe is there's a strong shift away from diesel on the on-road side, on the truck side, to LNG. And we're at the forefront of that. And um, LNG is just so much better. I mean, you take the CO2 out. Um, you basically take the, the, carbon, the, the NOx completely out of the thing and also the particulate matter. So it's something that really works on highway. And we also see this now going into the off-highway market. So we see that our tractors under New Holland, we got methane tractors. Mm -hmm. So you got your biogas plant on the farm. You produce the gas that is then used in the tractor. You don't produce any CO2. And of course, the farmers love it because I mean, the, the cost of payback on the payback is great on that. But why, if we are the largest producer of, uh, of 
LNG and also natural gas in the world. Why is the United States not keen on it? It's coming. I think it's coming, and we're pushing heavily for it. I mean, I mean, I think if you talk to farmers today and our dealers, they're extremely interested. And um, as we have solution ready, we're going to roll this out in the next in the next year. So, so this is one of the mega trends. You know, we got three right. trends. One is a digitalization. We're at the right. forefront of that, and the other one is moving away from diesel to ultimately electrification, but also to gas. And we're leading that. And I think you're going to see a lot more K's and New Holland and. Steyer, we also have tractors right. that are powered by methane gas. Okay, uh, I own a, I own a uh, olive uh, farm in yes. Italy. Yeah, and you a need farm, a New Holland. Well, first of all, the stuff's expensive in Italy. They make it so that nothing. Yes. What is yeah. with the tariffs? What is with the add-on? I mean, why is equipment so expensive in some of these European countries? Well, well, I think we need it because there's a lot of technology in there. Talking about olive farms and, um, and um, self-propelled and automated um, um, tractors, we are, for olive farms, now launching a new Holland, which is fully automated. Good, because so, we take so, a lot of people to yeah. pick this you stuff. Gotta, you know, you we gotta, use you this weird thing. Throw away your Massey and basically take a new Holland. I think that's what you have All right, well, you do. might sell me that. I don't know. <laughs> we, we'll produce, uh, you know, we're going to probably produce some, you know, 500 uh, bottles of Kramer's None Better. Last question, Brexit. Yes. Everybody's worried about this. I'm sick of it. Could you just yeah. tell me I'm right to be sick of it? Yeah, well, we prepare for the worst. So. We hope for the best. I still hope that they're going to remain. We have prepared everything. But, so, you know, everybody's thought about it long enough. If it, you really got to be a doofus if you're not ready, isn't it? Yeah, but we are ready for okay, it. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. I like yeah. your company. I yeah. like this a lot. Thank okay, you. that's Hugh Burton Smolhauser. He's the CEO of CNH Industrial. This is a very good technology company, and it's a good industrial. If you believe in the cycle like I do, man, money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? Time for the light round. I'm going to start with Pat in Florida. Pat! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Love your show. Oh, thank you, Pat. Um, <laughs> I'm calling today about the Home Depot stock. Okay. Um, I think Home Depot stock has spent a lot of time in the penalty box. I know the chart's real bad. I think you buy some here, but then you got to wait because I know that the housing market... Many of those stocks are not that strong. Dan in Florida. Dan. Yes. Hello, Jim. I think I've been watching CNBC for about 30 years. Okie doke. Thank you for taking my call. And thanks to all of your staff for producing. I have a great staff. Thank you. A great staff. Oh, they are, they are superstars. Uh, Jim, uh, ALXN, Alexion, uh, I've been watching that for a while and watching the market and kind of looking at Celgene uh, and Bristol Myers. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody snatches up. Well, you know, normally, sir, I would not recommend a stock on a takeover basis if I didn't like it on the fundamentals, but you're right. I don't understand. It's always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I agree with you. I don't think it's expensive, and I think it's got some good technology. I'm on board with you. Let's go to Steven in New York. Steven. Big booyah there, Jim, from Putnam County. How are you, Oh, my I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Thanks for all that you do for the little guys. Oh, you're welcome. All right. I'm calling up about U.S. concrete. Take a USCR. Well, look, I mean, Bill Sandbrook is a good guy. We keep thinking there's going to be some infrastructure bill. I don't know. I watch that State of the Union address. Nobody seems to like anybody anymore anyway. So I don't know how it's going to get done, but I wouldn't sell it down here at 36 too cheap. I bet you the real estate that they have their different trucks under is worth more than the current price of this stock. And I'm not kidding because I know some of, I know some of their lots. 
Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Hey, Jim. This is Mark from Brooklyn, New York. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brooklyn. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of yours. I watch Thank you. the TV show every single night. No exceptions. Um, it's required viewing in my home in Brooklyn, and um, I'm you. also a member of your Action Alert. Yes, thank club. you. Um, the, so thank you for all the guidance. Um, I hope you're on Cool months, Wednesday. It's going to be a good one, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Absolutely, sir. Okay. Um, a few months ago, I decided to start investing in medical marijuana, and I bought some shares in Constellation Brands STZ. Right, and here's the problem, okay? You're buying Constellation, it's still primarily a beer company. Beer did not blow it out this year, all right? Beer is a slowing category. This is the fastest grower in the slowing category, and one of the things we have learned on Mad Money is if a category is slowing, nobody cares. They don't want it. Yes, they have their investment in Canopy. Yes, it's a good way to play cannabis, but the beer category, as you will hear this week from Molson Coors, is not working. I need to go to Ken in Ohio. Ken! Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am good, Ken. How about you? Hey, I wanted uh, your thoughts on uh, Marathon Petroleum, if possible. All right, Mar- look, we had some really good numbers from Philip 66 today. Marathon doesn't report till April, 3.3% yield. I like it. I think it's a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You laugh? Stop laugh. Stop laughing over there. Yeah, you. So your company can keep expanding. Keeping both groups happy. Rachel So, Cameron Olivia Paloma, and Lisa Detweiler. Okay, I threw in the last one because that's my wife. Because I needed to have someone in that list that I've actually heard of besides A-Rod, who's meaningless to me, which is how you know these people are indeed. Yeah. And my exclusive with the CEO of Evelis. Evelis. Every day I have It's usually in the boycott. Let me bust that. Talk about a good... Um, sorry. Jump the gun. Brutiful move. Brutiful? Brutiful move. It's, will you stop it? I can't do it. Good quarter. Oh, man, now it's really getting me down. These days, I often get the feeling that the analysts and the companies that cover these different companies must be operating in different universes because the analysts are just so out of touch with what's really going on sometimes at the companies they follow. Take yesterday's stunning news that SunTrust and BB&T are merging. Merger of equals to gate donations. It's going to be the sixth largest bank. There are a lot of reasons this deal makes sense. you got two southern banks with strategic similarities. The efficiency ratio as a percentage of revenue will be an astounding 51%. That means how much falls to the bottom line for the combined company. They'll be able to cut a tremendous amount of fat. And 24% of their branches overlap, for heaven's sake, within two miles of each other. That's what I want. But to me, this BB&T merger of equals with SunTrust is about keeping up with the Joneses. In this case, keeping up with the Wells Fargo's, the J.P. Morgan's, and especially the Bank of America's. These financial titans can spend fortunes to build out terrific cloud-based customer relations platforms that have done a phenomenal job of adding new clients. On their own, neither SunTrust nor BB&T can really compete with the big boys when it comes to technology. After the merger, though, 
They're going to commit $100 million to an innovation and tech center in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the combined entity's new headquarters will be. In fact, I'm betting that most of the savings from cost cuts here, and they will be voluminous, might end up actually being spent on IT, information technology. I think that money is best spent optimizing the bank's digital presence and migrating to the cloud for just about everything so they can have the best possible mobile experience. Which brings me back to the analysts from yesterday's conference call. Almost every single question they asked had to do with the old nuts and bolts of bank capital ratios, regulators, long growth, usual. There were questions about the expense side. There were questions about corporate culture. But there was nothing about technology. Even though I think technology, specifically the need for customer relations management software, is a crucial part of what drove this deal. Right now, Bank of America is the king of mobile. They have an incredible app, and they have, the sale, they have Salesforce to help them figure out what their customers want and when they want it, and they integrate it together. And that's why Bank of America has such strong account openings, such big deposit growth, because people want to bank on the app, not the brick-and-mortar branches. These have become expenses, not investments. Bank of America's active digital banking users have increased from $31 million three years ago to a staggering $36 million latest quarter. Digital deposits, 77% versus 67% just three years ago. A digital deposit, by the way, cost them just one-tenth of what a fiscal deposit cost. When you talk to the execs at Bank of America, digital is the first thing they talk about. Why? Because it's how they get new clients, clients from other banks. These clients are not just millennials. They're anyone with a mobile phone. Now, go to the latest quarters from BB&T and SunTrust. They have their own apps, good ones. In fact, SunTrust app is exceptional. But neither company talks about them in their earnings presentations. Nothing. SunTrust says it's the number one on Apple. I don't know. But if you go to Google and search for various permutations of best mobile banking, it's endlessly. It's Bank of America. So put it all together. If Bank of America is gaining millions of new clients, and not just from millennials, they're evenly distributed by age, where the heck are these clients coming from? Simple. Other banks, not just first-time accounts, transferred accounts, wealthy or established accounts, the best kind to have. Yet Bank of America is using its tech experience to take market share across the board. That's why I think the SunTrust BB&T deal may be more about playing digital defense than offense. It's about giving the combined company the scale to invest more heavily in technology and less in brick and mortar in order to keep those clients happy in the digital world and get some new clients, keep them from migrating to Bank of America. But these hidebound analysts, they don't seem to get it at all. I mean, they're bank analysts. They don't know anything about CRM. They don't even know what it stands for. Probably think it's a sock symbol. They don't know anything about the cloud or the cost that you can take out when you bring in a workday or a service now after a merged entity, and that's what happens, my conclusion. If you want to understand the future of the banking business, you need to understand the technology that's transforming the industry. Otherwise, you'll miss about what's really going on. Just don't get the digital. These guys, these analysts, they don't get the digital imperative. And that's the force behind, I think, what's happening with this transaction. Stick with Craig. There's Tim Boyle out there in Oregon just doing the thing that he should be doing. And that is the best apparel story out there. Doesn't get a lot of fanfare. Doesn't pay a lot of people to wear its clothes. The stock just goes up because the numbers are great. I like to think there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Carrey, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.